All right, on this week's Thoughts from the Shade, your Philadelphia Eagles moved to 8-1, and one, headed into the bye week with a heart-pounding victory over the rival Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk a little college football and welcome a special guest this week, Ty Hildebrand from the Solid Verbal, joins the show to preview the Penn State Michigan game. We'll do bones to pick of the week and wrap the show as always with picks as our man Bomb is on fire. It's a glorious, glorious Monday in the greater Philadelphia area, and it's episode 110 of Thoughts from the Shade. Usually, uh, you know, Monday, it's a tough day. It's Sunday scaries, laying there anxious as hell, but I slept like a baby last night, Bomb, and I woke up this morning and the sun was out. We set the clocks back. We get the sun early, but we get the dark late, uh, but it's all good because the Eagles somehow held on on Sunday evening against Bozo McCarthy and Bald Dak Prescott to get the win and grab a stranglehold on this NFC East race. You are down in the building, uh, in the parking lots. How are you, Bomb? It's a beautiful thing, G. I mean, you you highlighted, you know, the, the clock's going back. It's a tough time of year for everybody. The days get shorter, but, you know, that first Monday is always a tough one, but not this week. Eight and one. Feeling good, riding high, heading into the bye, and uh, yeah, just a, a beautiful win, a beautiful game. This team's humming. Indeed. Uh, how did you How did you handle the last you know the last little bit there? I mean, there there there's a lot to get to with that game, uh, but you know there were there were group messages flying around as the as the flags flew, the laundry flew. Guys are. Coming out of the game, we got no timeouts to rally the troops on that final defensive stand. Um, you know, did it feel like a loss, or or did you know till the end that they were going to hang on here? I don't think anybody could could say that it it um, you know without a shadow of a doubt that they felt like it was a loss or a win or what have you. But as it was happening, I I said to my buddy. Um, I said, "Oh my God, this this feels a lot like that Atlanta Falcons playoff game, which uh, which happened on the other end of the field, where they drive down and they're chucking it to Julio in the last play." But yeah, luckily the the birds got a got a key sack, a couple key penalties from the Cowboys. Always always happen an opportune time, and and then they rally to the football. They rally to the football at the end of that game and, and hold them off. But. uh yeah, I mean, uh, you obviously would have, would have loved to have gotten it done in, in a little easier fashion there at the end, but they had that game pretty much well in hand uh, before the Cowboys started making a little bit of a charge, and just good to see the resolve and the ability to finish that off and not give away a win. Yeah, agreed. I thought, you know, I sat there and thought that that third quarter that they played was the best quarter of football they played all year. Obviously, some uncertainty heading into the locker room as as Jalen gimps off, and uh, it's, a, it's a tight game. Obviously, don't carry a ton of momentum into the locker room, and the Eagles come out and go right down the field, get a stop, and and I believe go right down the field again. And 
like I said, take a stranglehold in the game. And then the fourth quarter comes around and, you know, you know what it felt like to me almost was like watching that Super Bowl against Kansas City. And, you know, they're just going to do everything they can to, to let them back into the game. And the, the, the zebras are tossing flags around. But it's it's a rivalry game and the, the chaos is to be expected. Um, but ultimately, as we always say, they get the job done and, and it doesn't matter how you look at the standings. Um, I think you look back in, in a month uh, or six weeks and you think, man, thank God they won that game uh, just to, to really coast maybe with this with this division. Yeah, and I think what this win affords you is you guarantee, I mean, you know, I'm no mathematician, but now you guarantee the season split, which means that, you know, Dallas doesn't have an advantage if by some small chance they bo- both teams end up with the same same record, right? So the very least, you have the inside track there. You win the game in Dallas, you pretty much, you know, lock up the division. Keep winning, though. I mean, like like I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not so convinced that these next few games are really the murderer's row that everybody made them out to be earlier in the season, but would love to see this team come out of the bye hungry, take care of business, secure that one seed early on, and let's put everybody in bubble wrap. Let's get Dallas Goddard right. Let's get Jalen right. Let's get AJ off his feet. I say let's let's get these guys into the cold tubs, get them into the cryo chambers. Let's let's rest up for maybe two months, okay? Because they they really had an opportunity to do that last year, if not for the Hurts injury, and then they had to kind of bring them back, secure the one seed. I think if this team can come out of this by gangbusters, let, let's just let's just put the, this would be like a Peyton Manning Indianapolis Colts one seed lock up in like November. Dude, it's unbelievable that it's the first week in November and you're you're talking bubble wrap already. Because I remember talking about it last year and it didn't come to fruition. He had to come back. Um, but you also mentioned like the murderers row of games. I know we. We touched on that last week and gave some predictions uh, on this six-game stretch. It starts with a win against Dallas. Uh, But obviously, I agree. I don't think it's a murderer's row. Um, But you look around the league, and and I watched the the Kansas City-Miami game Sunday morning. And Kansas City reminds me kind of a lot of the Eagles. I think it's two uh, very similar type teams where you have a great quarterback, you, you, you I don't want to say we have a great coach because I have some gripes from the game yesterday. But you have a great quarterback. The team embodies the spirit of their quarterback, and they they just find ways to win, whether it's pretty, whether it's offensively, whether it's defensively. So I I know people think, okay, the Chiefs haven't been that impressive this year, uh, but they continue to win. um, And the Eagles kind of do the same thing despite uh, the lumps and and some of the uh, the back-breaking uh, mistakes that they've made on both sides of the ball throughout this first half of the season. No, I totally agree. And I think the good news is for the Eagles and for the Chiefs, right? They go into the bye, but you know, Sirianni said it after the game, give the, gives, gives him, him and his staff the ability to spend some time, do some self scouting, get some things corrected. And he said something funny just about the guys on the bye week. He's like, yeah, these guys will be texting me about college games, pro games, like, you know, they may be off their feet for a week or they may be not at the facility for a week and not practicing for a week. But the way Sirianni made it out to be is these guys love football. They're all plugged in. They're all watching games. It's what you love to hear from your football team, not, you know, a quarterback who wants to, you know, throw the reflector vest on and gather up the dogs and head out in the, 
you know, in the uh, the Bobcat or the Husqvarna or whatever it is we're pumping at the time and, and go shoot ducks. I mean, there's there's no reason to to take down the poor ducks. I mean, let's 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 watch football during our bye week. Let's stay locked in on the main thing here. That's what I love to hear. A lot of other sports, a lot of other games, professional sports, and I guess the All Star break. Actually, the All Star break really isn't as long as. Uh, the bye, the bye week, and, and and those guys in in hockey and and basketball and even baseball, they take like a vacation. Uh, but I, I feel like that's not as common in, in football. I guess there's a lot more uh, bodily recovery that needs to happen over the bye week to be getting on and off a plane and and lugging the luggage around and getting the kids here and there. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good point, and obviously. We have a team uh, with with a lot of strong veteran leadership and, and character, and I think everybody will take this by pretty seriously um, with the position and the opportunity that the Eagles have, have granted themselves uh, with this eight and one start. Uh, but I just like kind of think back to the game and early on, like it really came down early to some fourth down plays. Uh, Hertz throws that dime along the sideline to Dallas Goddard. We didn't mention him. I think he fractured his forearm and is going to miss four weeks. That one's going to hurt. Um, but then also Dallas comes back and, and converts a fourth down, and we've got Eli Ricks on C.D. Lamb uh, on fourth down. That was kind of a kick in the balls, uh, and he continued to cover C.D. throughout that game. I know they mix and match a little bit more as the game went on, but early on it was all Ricks on Lamb, and it was – it was not pretty, but I do have to give a flower because we are a show of accountability, right? You make a mistake, put your hand up. Everybody makes mistakes. That's how you grow in life. It's a beautiful thing. And I got to give a shout out to my man, Elias Ricks on Twitter. 7.57 p.m. last night, so probably not a half hour removed from this big victory over Dallas. He could have turned the phone off. He could have, you know, Went home, put the feet up, put the movie on, spent some QT with with the family or the friends, whatever. This man gets to the phone like our boy Kenny Gainwell real fast and writes, trust me, I'll clean that shit up. Wasn't my best day. I got to be better. But a great win at the end of the day. We finished out strong. So good on Eli. But man, let's, let's get to work, brother. I mean, obviously I was in the stadium, so I don't get to hear the commentary from the blowhards at Fox, but I get that CD was in the slot and Rick's ended up covering him up out of the slot a few times. And yeah, don't get me wrong, CD got open quite a bit, but it's not like there was any real blow the top off 70 yard or 70 yard touchdowns. I mean, for the most part, other than the one where he got behind him and blanket ship came over and made the tackle you know, inside the five or inside the 10 or whatever it was, you know, I, I didn't think the guy played terribly. It was just like, who are they going to pick on? They're going to pick on him. I didn't think Bradbury had a particularly good game. I think I heard somewhere today that Bradbury's passer rating against this year has spiked about 50 points. He was around 50 to 60 passer rating last year, up over a hundred, 110 this year. And I don't know what's going on with James Bradbury, but Clearly, they need to get the secondary figured out. I do like the fact that, like I said earlier in you know in the season, I like the fact that some of these other guys, the Ricks of the world, are getting getting these reps because you're going to need them later in the season. But yeah, they didn't they didn't get torched on a you know a long gash play or a long touchdown or anything like that. They for the most part, I thought the defense kept everything in front of them and and uh, and made Dak beat them, which we know he can't. 
Yeah, he can't. Uh, fortunate for us. But, yeah, you mentioned Bradbury. Uh, a lot of commentary. Not not from the Fox blowhards, as you said, but they, they certainly did blow throughout portions of that game, which I would be happy to get to uh, a little further down the line. But, dude, Bradbury, I mean, we signed this guy to a three-year deal. He's got two more years after this. I wouldn't be surprised if Howie looks for a way to, to cut the cord on, on old James. Uh, pretty tough day. He did make the one play in the fourth quarter on fourth down, stuck with uh, – I don't even know the guy's name. Tried to pull it up on my phone, but – wasn't Lamb, wasn't Gallup, wasn't Ferguson either, a guy who diced us. Uh, was really shocked that uh, in crunch time, Dak doesn't look to CD or Ferguson, who had had their way with the Eagles defense all day. He goes to the, the third or fourth option, the guy that scored scored the touchdown on the scramble. He went back to him and Bradbury bodied him up, body, bodied him up really well there, um, but the rest of the day was, was tough for old James. Yeah, nothing to add there, G. Although I do want to talk. I don't know how much more you got on the game here. I do want to talk about the zebras. Um, no, nah, I, I mean, I was just, you know, what was frustrating for me, Bomb, was was watching this Eagles team, and it, it happened numerous times throughout the game. Uh, the delay game penalties, the, the, the false starts on the offense, uh, they had to burn timeouts. So, like, like I prefaced at kind of the top of, of the Eagles here, when Dallas is putting that drive together with, with no timeouts and the flags are flying and, and Bradbury goes down and Slay goes down, we don't have any timeouts left to come together and, and figure it out or give guys a blow. And that's because they, they weren't getting plays in. And I, I don't know who that's on. You're at home. Uh, it's not a short week. I don't understand what was going on. Uh, but the amount of timeouts they had to burn because the play wasn't getting in or the delay games or the false starts they took because – they weren't getting to the line and getting ready to go. It, it was really mind-boggling in that in that spot and in this big of a game. You can't have that in big games, and they continue to get away with it somehow. Yeah, I think there's some procedural stuff. I don't know if it's the team's issue, but there was even a stuff on a PAT where it looked like that play clock started too soon. The, the game clock and the play clock operator yesterday was, was fucking pathetic. I say that as an Eagles fan. That guy was horrible. He should be fired. The PAT, I mean, they had to take a delay a game and then a false start on the PAT. Luckily, Jake. I mean, just keep backing Jake up. He'll, he'll kick the PAT from 60. But oh, my God. There was another instance. I think it was in the fourth quarter. It might have been Dallas's last touchdown before the, the failed PAT try, but where the Eagles um, challenged a play in a goal-to-go situation. I'm forgetting exactly what it was they challenged, but it seemed to me like Sirianni – use that challenge as a chance to get his team a blow in that moment and say basically hey you know I know it's going to be probably not going to go our way but um let's challenge it 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 got him actually kind of like an extended timeout so you know for all the gripes about the timeouts and not having them at the end and I, I forget exactly the sequence when that occurred but it led to uh you know your D lineman being able to rush Prescott to the boundary and him ultimately not getting in on that that two point try. So I thought Sirianni did a nice job there, but yeah, I I don't know. I can't speak for why it is that it seems like they never have timeouts when they need them. The other the other coaching decision that really blew my fucking mind uh, was on the Eagles' last offensive possession of the game. Go route in the fourth third and two. Let's do it. Let's let's let's. Like I say, man, this is stat stuffing. Let's get AJ his, and we got to get him to 125. And what are we doing? 
Dude, that was the second to last possession. The the last possession, uh, Dallas had all three timeouts. The Eagles ran it on first down. They ran it on second down. Made them made them burn too. And then I thought back to that Jets game where we were in a very similar situation. We had a you know less than a touchdown lead, and they decided to be aggressive. Um, despite you know Hertz looking much better yesterday than he did in that Jets game. Uh, but I still was was hoping they would run the ball and punt the ball and make a team with no timeouts go the length of the field to score a touchdown, which they did. However, the play they called had A.J. Brown come across what was the that? backfield formation. Dude, what was that? And they and never collide. used motion. They never used motion, ever. They never used motion to get, to get Jalen into a read or figure out whether it's man, but... By golly, we, we got to run the football. Let's use motion. I don't even know that it was motion. It was like, but it was, they snapped the ball and AJ's coming across the backfield to get like a crack. Well, crack that's motion. Block, which I mean, just, he's, he's in a pre-snap motion and we're hiking it as but, the guy slams into your running back. All right. Well, regardless of if it was motion or not, um, he, he goes to make a block on like Parsons. First of all, that's not like the matchup you want in the situation. And second of all, he can, he uh, collides with DeAndre Swift and the ball gets put on the ground. And thank God for Steen. I mean, he had a pretty tough day uh, making his first start, big assignment against that Dallas pass rush. But luckily, he jumps on the ball. But it, it, again, in a time where you just need to get a run play in, get down, punt the ball, they have no timeouts, and you we can't even manage to to call the right play in that situation. Again, we get away with it, we get away with it, we get away with it. But what in God's name was that? Yeah, run game wasn't great yesterday. And I, you know, I know Swift put the ball on the ground twice. Um, but I'm I, I'm I'm entirely done with Kenny Gainwell. I get he bounced a touchdown early in the game. He was awful out of the backfield as a pass catcher. He was awful in the pass pro. I'm I'm just so sick and tired of him being your little third down scat back bullshit back uh, I think it's and, and we saw Rashad Penny finally come out of the woodwork they gave him the rock a couple times because I'm not sure they were so happy with what they were getting out of Kenny in the second half of that game so I'm interested to see how this run game evolves after the bye do, do they maybe use a different mix here uh, maybe, maybe you see Rashad Penny get more involved and, and a little more B Scott and, and a little less a uh, little less Kenny Gainwell yeah, I like I liked Penny. Uh, I think his first carry he went for for eight to ten yards, big big chunk play there. Uh, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on uh, with with the running back rotation. But you know how the Eagles do it's it's never it's never a one man show. It's always by committee and, and sometimes the hot hand. But I guess the last last thing I guess I would mention aside from the commentary would just be the play that Josh Sweat makes uh, on that last drive. They take a bunch of penalties. I didn't really like the call on Reddick. I don't know what roughing the passer is anymore in this Pathetic. league. Pathetic. Uh, I, I I get he was there, and, and lighter things have probably been called in the history of this game, but it was like a bump. It was literally a bump, and, and he knew that the bump was probably too much uh, given, given the time of the game. But again, flashbacks to that Washington game we lost last year, and I forget if it was Brandon Graham or somebody yep. gets a, a BS – a BS roughing the passer call. Uh, obviously, the first call on Bradbury was was PI, and that's fine. But but to give him the, another fifteen with that Reddit call, 
was total garbage. Um, but, you know, they exchange penalties. Dallas takes a delay game. And with their closest attempt to the end zone, when they actually got a playoff, Josh Sweat comes up with the sack. Uh, I feel like he just kind of flies under the radar a little bit with, with Hassan, who's usually the closer. Uh, but but Josh Sweat closed it yesterday. And, man, thank God for him. That was a hell of a play, hell of an effort. Seems to show up in the crunch time, man. Pass rush, pass rush always does for this team uh, because the back end, the back end is the back end. What do you got? What do you got on the stripes, man? Yeah, so uh, I get I'm in the stadium. I get I don't have the greatest view, but I quite literally from section two forty four, row eleven, seat five, am calling out these plays as they occur, whether correct, incorrect. I had the Turpin catch. In the, in the end zone as incomplete, okay, in real time. I had that as incomplete. Nose of the football hit the ground. They show the replay in the stadium. Looks like it should be incomplete. All of a sudden, that stands. That stands. How does that stand? So I'm not sure. I thought that was a catch. It looked like a it, catch. It was close. It was close. We got a lot of looks on TV, and as he's going to the ground, it looks like the nose is going to be first, and like kind of last second, he got his arm underneath. So I didn't, I, I didn't have an issue with that. So the problem I have isn't necessarily with it standing. It's the fact that Every fucking 50-50 call that went to a review initially went the way of the Cowboys. So let's talk about the Turpin catch. Let's talk about the throw on fourth down to the tight end who gets stopped at the one. I had that short in real time. I had that short in real time, G. Let's talk about the DeAndre Swift fumble recovery where he gets it ripped. I mean, I'm I'm sitting. I literally am watching the Dallas defender ripping the ball out of the guy's arms as he's laying on the ground. And we're returning at 50 yards. We're running up the sideline, blowing. Dallas football, Dallas football. Like, what the fuck am I watching here? And then the Dak two-point conversion. I mean, it wasn't even close. The guy's clearly out of bounds. I'm looking at it from 30,000 feet in the sky. I mean, there was American Airlines flights flying by the stadium that have a better view than these fucking zebras. And these guys consistently get it wrong. And I I just, it blows my mind. And we can sit here and say, you know what, Bob? It didn't affect the game because because they, they, they got it right. They went to review. Okay, that's all well and good. But don't you dare forget what happened three, four, five years ago in Jerry World, back in the day, opening kickoff of the fucking game. The Eagles whack the fucking kick returner. Balls on the ground. All you see are green jerseys. An eagle comes out of the fucking pile, and they say it's not conclusive. It's not a clear recovery. Dallas football. You end up getting fucking boat raised in that game. So, you know, spare me the nonsense saying, well, you know, they, they it's not the zebra. It's not the zebra. These guys fucking stink, and it's going to come back to bite this team. And, and I, 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 I know that's such a, a, a cliche thing to say, but to have four or five major, major calls, touchdowns, turnovers, just go Dallas's direction? Like, that blows my mind. This is this is unbelievable. And then I have to come home and, you know, because you're at the game, you don't really see what's, what's going on on the internet. And I have to read this bullshit that shows up on my Apple News feed about how the Cowboys fans on the internet think they got fucking jobbed yesterday? Are you fucking kidding me? I I didn't get that either. Uh, I saw a lot of that. I just think they have a lot of not 
not educated fans, not very smart yeah, fans. Yeah, well, they're Cowboys not, fans, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that explains a lot. But, but you know, you talk about, like, the plays where they, they let it go and then they fix it later, like, we don't want to. We don't want to have a quick whistle. We could always fix it later. But like you talk about that play from from years ago, I'll never forget that play. And they they're like, oh, the whistle blew, and there it wasn't conclusive. But before the whistle blew, it was total trash. So yeah, I mean, they, they end up getting it right, right? But isn't it your job to get it right the first time? Like, what are you even doing on the field if we're going to go to review every time? Yeah, and my thing is, all right, let's say there's five fifty fifty or fifty one forty nine calls. How do they all go Dallas's way? Like, there's something fishy there. They want to keep this NFC East race open. This is what the NFL does. The The officiating is so bad. It's so horrific. It's so unbelievably bad week to week that it actually promotes parity. That's my opinion. I think, I don't think it's anything that's like rigged or fixed or anything like that. But if they wanted to have better officials, they would. They've put up with this part-time bullshit officiating for years And in my opinion, the fact that these calls in big moments, whether it's flags, whether it's things that need to be reviewed, are consistently wrong, leads itself, leads to better parity, which is what the NFL wants. The NFL wants every team to have a shot at the playoffs come week week 17, week 18. And uh, they just they just can't get their arms around a team running away and locking this shit up in November. It's it's pathetic. And I, I just think. You know, you could sit here and rip these players, and we do it after games, losses, wins, losses. This guy's a bum. He's a bum. But you know, none of the players can ever say anything about an official. None of none of the, none of the, the you know the coaches can ever say anything about an official. These officials stink. These officials stink. Like you watch these these professional athletes. These guys have worked since they were five years old playing pee wee football, playing uh, you know football in high school, playing football in college you know, getting in the NFL, they're at the peak, peak, peak of their prime athleticism. They're the, you know, the top 0.0001% of, of athletes in America. You can't tell me that these officials are at the same apex in terms of their ability to adjudicate rules and actually determine what the fuck is going on in the field. You can't. I think you, you could take a guy who watches football now, granted, a lot of us would have to bone up on some of these bullshit rules that they have anyway. But if you take a regular guy that watches football and just ask him on a given play, well, what's this? Should that be a pick? Is that a catch? What's this? What's that? Feet down. We have a better chance of getting this shit right than the guys on the field. I don't disagree. And I think I think another one you didn't point out, I think it was a Dak Prescott QB sneak on a fourth down. And... Byard got flagged for unsportsmanlike after the play, but I think Dak was short, or it was very close, and and it was not reviewed. And like if he was short, the unsportsmanlike just gets enforced on the after Eagles' the ter- change of possession. Yep, right where where the Eagles get the ball, and I, they didn't even review that one. I didn't think it was it was a clear first down for Dallas. But I think like the fact that they threw the flag, they for they probably forgot. Oh, hey, this spot is actually pretty close. We need to go review that. But like a flag flies and it's just forgotten. No, agreed. And and there was no. I mean, it looked like his forward progress was stopped at the very least, very close to the sticks. But you know, again, just um, putrid, absolutely putrid. Like it, it's it's bad. And and you know who who I feel the worst out of this whole situation? Not not because he's a good umpire. But how is it that everybody in America sits here and knows Angel Hernandez's name? 
and rips Angel Hernandez. Okay, at least if you get if you get a bad strike call, a bad ball call on you, pitch a hitter, whatever it is, like you get the two strikes, you have you still have the bat in your hands. You can still, and I get it. You don't want to expand the zone. Believe me, I understand all that bullshit. But you are still you you still have the opportunity to have an effect on the game. Oh, with these with these NFL officials, they just throw phantom flags. Flags are picked up. There's no fucking explanation. That's a turnover. That's a catch. That's not a catch. He's short. That's good. Like they they just fucking make it up as they go. <laughs> yeah, like like in baseball, the strike zone is is subjective, right? To that specific ump a little bit. I know they're. They're going computerized, and you watch every goddamn playoff game, and each TV network's got the box on the screen to tell the fan what a strike is and what it is. And I really wish – I don't think I said it during the, the playoffs for MLB, but I really wish they'd do away with that box because, like, who's to say TBS's box and Fox's box yeah. aren't the same? Like, it's baseball. It's America's pastime. Like, let each jump have their zone and call the game. But like you said, everybody, everybody knows Angel Hernandez, but nobody knows all these bum refs in football. And I think the other funny thing is like you can talk about the refs and whether they're right or wrong. But even when it goes to review, like how many of these commentators get it wrong when they're getting the same looks as me in my living room? Oh, that that the worst the worst the 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 goat the goat reviewer in my opinion is Pereira. Blandino is is maybe second, but he's he's a little wishy-washy. Like Blandino will come on board and say, "Well, you know, I think it could be but Pereira gives you the scoop. And then if he's wrong, he tells you why he disagrees with the call. But that Terry McCauley on NBC, horrible, horrible, horrible. I mean, horrific. Um, and these are the guys that were the top, top, top of like the, the food chain for the NFL making these decisions in New York. It's unbelievable, dude. It's so bad. Yeah, it's such a good point. A lot of those guys just punt on like giving their opinion. They just try to give some information and some context into what might be getting reviewed and looked at. But they like Pereira, like he will say what he thinks. But Dean and McCauley and I forget who they have on CBS, but like those guys don't. CBS has to be Sterator, right? Yeah, Gene Sterator. I'd have to go back and watch some tape on Gene, but. Uh, you talk about Macaulay and, and Dean Blandina, like it's 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 honestly a waste of time with those guys. And they're and they're making how they're probably making what would a job like that pay? Because you get piped in every game, so you got to be watching the game, and then you're you think you're making five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars to come on and tell America you're a total fucking nitwit. Is that what is that <laughs> is that what they're saying? I, I would be interested to know what they pay because, like, in my opinion, Pereira's the best. Like. Pereira does it all. He does it. He does it all. He's the best. If it's a fraction of what you just mentioned, I'm going to get the resume together and see where those those vacancies are. You know, on the networks, oh, yeah. uh, websites. Oh yeah, careers. Gee, yeah. Thirty years of sitting on my ass watching your your official expert get it wrong on my couch. <laughs> McCall, dude, and you hear the best part is on Sunday night. <laughs> Collins, uh, you know, we're not big Chris Collinsworth guys in Philadelphia. But the one thing I'll say about Chris Collinsworth, he always, like, Terry McCauley will come on there and say some bullshit. Bullshit. Like, it'll be like some sort of a receiver gets lit up. There's no head-to-head. There's a flag that comes in, and Terry goes, well, what they're looking for here, and what I see is forcible contact to the head or neck area. And then you'll just hear Chris Collinsworth say, Terry, 
I hear you. But I'm not seeing that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a receiver, so believe me, I'm looking for the flag. Like, Chris Collinsworth, I give him credit. Like, a lot of people hate Chris Collinsworth, but, like, as it relates to the officials and the shit that McCauley, like, says every week, like, Collinsworth will just disagree with him. You got to respect it. You got to respect it out of Chris, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, you know, I thought he was he was a good player, a solid player in the league, um, but I really couldn't handle uh, Greg Olson yesterday on the color. Um, we watched a, a, a tough divisional battle, right? Um, we watched Jalen Hurts drop dimes like that throw to Goddard on, on fourth down early. Uh, the touchdown pass to Smith was maybe the best ball he's ever thrown as an eagle. All from the pocket uh, with hands in his face. Just beautiful balls. On, on one leg, uh, nonetheless. And as we're as you're sitting in the stands waiting for all these things to get reviewed and commercial breaks, Greg Olson is on his knees just blowing Dak Prescott. And it's a disgrace. I mean, Dak played well. Sure, he did play well. Um, but you also got to put it into context. Look at all the quarterbacks that have lit up the Eagles this season. Mac Jones had a pretty nice game. Sam Howes lit up the Eagles twice. Threw for almost 400 yards, I believe, the week before on the Eagles. Um, and he's talking about this is just such a great performance from Dak. And they're showing the replay of him stepping out on the, on the two-point attempt and this was the difference in the game, um, and it, it it was just a disgrace. There was not there was not a lot of love for Jalen. I felt like, and again, like sure, Dak played a nice game. He didn't get it done no. uh, as usual. First and goal from the six and, choked it. And, and you got you got to look at the two point attempt, right? Like I get he's moving and everything, but lacks the awareness to stay in. He had yep. he had a lane. And the play to the tight end, uh, not Ferguson, Scudamacher, or whatever the hell that guy's name was, you throw it short of the end zone. So it's a lack of awareness, and it's everything that you've seen from Dak over the years as to why he doesn't win in big spots. And you saw it again on Sunday, and Greg Olson was head over heels for the performance of Dak Prescott in that game, and I thought it was disgusting. It's two weeks in a row. So you have, you know, uh, Schlereth... Doing the same thing. The the Eagles win that game, and you know the music is coming on. You ever you ever see the you know you're playing that one o'clock game and the music's coming on. We're gonna leave here. We're gonna send you to here. And Schlereth is still like deep throating the microphone, talking about oh my oh the the Commanders finally have a franchise quarterback. Sam Howell, he really was outstanding. He kept him in this game. And all right, we're gonna send you to L.A. for the game of the week. It's it, it it it's unbelievable. Like they fucking lost. They lost. Yeah, I understand they have a job to do, right? To hype everybody up and hype up the product, and when the game's a blowout, make it seem like the game's still within reach to keep the viewers and everything like that. But like, I saw two guys yesterday play quarterback in Lincoln Financial Field, and I saw one guy that is a front runner for MVP yet again. And I saw another guy that is a chronic loser and that is not what was portrayed by the broadcast. And I think that's the best way for me to leave it. Yeah. And you'll never like, I don't think Dak will ever get over the hump because if you've ever seen the video of him on spring break back when he was at Mississippi state and, uh, 
when he just got his fucking ass kicked in the Walmart parking lot in Panama City Beach. As a guy who's been to that parking lot and took a picture in that exact same spot where Dak got his ass kicked. Once you see that parking spot and you've been to Panama City Beach and you walk into that trashy Walmart, you'll never think of Dak Prescott Prescott again, again like the same again. Like you, you'll you, you'll just. I, I was looking at the parking lot, just thinking to myself, "Wow, I'm supposed to believe a guy that's potentially going to win a Super Bowl like just got his ass kicked here? Like that that just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense." So then you got to test the other thing. Like there's no way the guy's going to win the Super Bowl. No, no, I don't. I don't think that ever happens. Um, do you, Do you have anything else on the on the game on the birds as we head into the bye? No, no. But I can give you the bone unless you want it later. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's related to to the festivities from Sunday. So why don't you hit us with it? All right, folks. So you know your boy Bomb. He's been down a big game after big game. Game six of the Phillies, game seven of the Phillies, the Braves clincher. So it's been a lot of motoring down to South Philly. I've got this thing down to a T, okay? I haven't paid for parking in probably 10 to 15 years. It's been quite some time. I always park in South Philly. But... You know, the game is a 425 game. I want to watch a little bit of the one. You know how these things go, G. You know, a lot of these folks who are just their one game a year, guys, they're busting their ass. They're getting to that that lot like at 8 a.m., whatever the fucking time it opens. Not your boy, Bomb. Your boy, Bomb, he, he got the church early, and then he's got to flip on the, the, the Germany game. Then he's got to flip on the, the 1 o'clock game. So I'm locked in on the couch watching some of these games and, you know, keeping the keeping the looking at the looking at the the boards, etc. So I leave the house, I leave the crib around two o'clock to get down there, probably by three fifteen, three twenty, and that's you know that's adding in a little bit of a buffer for time. And I get down there, and let me tell you something: this is a fucking zoo. I don't know what it is they're doing now with like the traffic patterns. They just shut roads off. Anyway, I know my way around. I get off the Oregon Ave exit. I'm not even getting off at the fucking sports complex exit. It's a zoo near the Penrose Diner, a fucking zoo. I'm driving through South Philadelphia to try to find a parking spot near Chickies and Pete's. Nothing available. It's jammed. Everybody's double parked. I pull out on a broad street. I go north. I look at the opposing traffic going south. It is a standstill. It is a standstill past Marconi Plaza going south, okay? Most of these lots have already been filled, and everybody's going south. So now your boy Bomb, he's got nowhere to park, so he parks it on 10th Street, about a mile and a half, two miles from the stadium, closer to Oregon State Stakes near, like, Oregon Ave. And uh, they got the big sign up, you know, you'll be towed during a sporting event, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, two miles from the stadium. What do you mean I'll be towed? There's plenty of room. There's no fucking, there's plenty of parking spots up here. Like, what the fuck is this? So I throw the truck and park, lock it up, start fucking walking. And I'm starting to realize what's causing this fucking traffic jam. I'm walking past, you know, the, the, the new fucking casino. Oh, that lot's full. Everyone's waiting to get into that lot, G. And then they, they roll the window down. And you just got the dickhead in the in the red fucking jacket screaming at these people. Employees only. Keep going. Keep going. Employees only. Keep going. Keep going. And they still have the sign up there that says $45 to park. Like, dickhead, take the fucking sign down then if it's closed. 
just say it's closed. So you got these lines of pe- lines of cars, people. And then what you start to see is the reason why there's all this traffic is because as I walk towards the stadium, you got everybody walking away. You got the fucking coolers on the rolly wheels. You got the speakers going. I've seen more uh, morbidly, and this is going to come across very bad, but more morbidly obese females wearing a T-shirt saying it's a Philly thing than I ever wish to ever see ever again. Okay, we get it's a Philly thing. Hop on the fucking Peloton. Hop on the treadmill. Like, what are we doing? And they're all down there. And then, you know, I'm walking towards the game. They're walking the opposite direction. And they're all staring. They're staring at their phone, G. It's like this. The Uber says it's eight minutes away. So so you got 5,700 Ubers literally driving south every which road to try to get down to these parking lots to pick these fucking assholes up. And you know what? I'm sick of it, G. I think there needs to be a tailgate tax. There's got to be some way to ferret out, like, who's going to the game, who's not. I'm sorry. You want to go watch the game at Temple? Get the fuck out of here. You can't come in here and jam this place up with all your fucking Ubers as you go back to North Broad Street and watch it in your little off-campus apartment that hopefully has some form of, you know, bulletproof windows and, you know, bars on the window. I, 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 it's unbelievable the shit I got to deal with to get down there and watch a fucking football game. <laughs> you had texted me that that you were experiencing some, some troubles, right? And I said, well, what are you doing leaving at 2 o'clock? The cherry on top is, well, I'll tell you why I leave it to it. Because I just don't, I don't want to get down there and deal with the assholes. They get in and, so I get in, I got there by kickoff, the whole thing, no problem. But like, just a total shit show. Come out of the game, walk back, get to the car. There's a fat ticket on there for your boy bomb. Oh, isn't that great? PPA. I thought to myself, there's no way these assholes are working. They're all probably watching the game. No, no. They're working. Literally 10 minutes after I parked it, I got a $41 ticket because I parked there doing a sporting event. The street's wide open. It's there. You can park there like on a Tuesday, uh, but you can't park there during a sporting event. $41. So, you know, the thing I don't understand is it costs $45 to park in the lot down there and they pop me for a $41 ticket. So make make that make sense. G. It, does, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Philadelphia Parking Authority never sleeps, Bomb. I know from from my years living in Philadelphia and, and they're extortionists. Well, I my friend, my good friends know this story well. I I'm a, someone who refuses to pay for parking. I commuted in college, my junior and senior year, and actually, um, so so this is a this you'll I'll leave you on this quick story. My school charged, I believe it was like eleven hundred dollars a semester to fucking park there. a year. Okay. $2,200 fucking dollars a year to park there on campus. I'm not paying that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to turn to my parents and make them pay that. So what did your boy bomb do? He just parked wherever the fuck he wanted right on campus. Doesn't matter. I don't give a fuck. So they start sending you these tickets. Dude, the tickets are like 20 bucks. I mean, I added up the amount of days I got tickets and it was like, if they ticketed me every day of every hour, like it still wouldn't have it still wouldn't have exceeded the cost of the fucking parking pass. Then I come to find out that not only are they not linked into the city of Philadelphia, 
Like, their ticket is meaningless. Like, they don't add it to your tuition because they don't know whose car it is. They don't report it to the city of Philadelphia, so they can't boot it. They can't tow it. They were just giving away these, like, tickets. And if you ever felt like paying it, you know, you can pay it. So I didn't pay one fucking ticket. I parked for free for two whole fucking years. I refused to pay for parking. You beat the system. You beat the system. Yeah, I've got I got plenty of PPA stories. You know, I've contested tickets and, and written them and told them that they're like hawks, you know, watching over uh, roadkill and stuff like that. And, you know, it's 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 never really worth uh, the 26 or 41 bucks in your case to fight because, you know, they're they have no souls in, in that authority. I'll, call I, I'll tell you, if, if I if I had more time on my hands and, you know, if I was a lawyer, I'd probably fight it and just say, like, let me get this straight. This is a state road paid paid for with state funding. How is it that we just have special rule? Like, if somebody comes to, to park outside of my uh, my house right here, can I put a sign up that says no parking here during Eagles games? Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> hey, man, keep fighting the good fight. Maybe get down there a little bit earlier. Uh, but, no, nah, I... I didn't. I didn't want to go down. I'm. I'm as far as you, and people are like, "Come on down to tailgate. Come on down to tailgate." Then what am I gonna do? Take me an hour to get, to get back onto the highway to get home. Like I'd have to leave the tailgate at two thirty to to make it home to catch the kickoff. So I just, I'm with you. Unless I got tickets, I got no interest in going down there. Um, but I'll get to my bone. It was a request. Uh, you know me. I'm the dog guy the dog hater and let's just let's get this straight i don't hate dogs i hate the inconsiderate owners i go for a walk and they you know the park by my house has the little the little bags right clean up after child and that's great and i'm sure most people clean up throw it in the trash but I was out for a walk last week and there's you know there's a duty bag sitting on the trail that I'm walking in the park there's a duty bag tied to a fucking limb of a tree that I'm walking in the park totally disgusting but my bone has nothing to do with the dogs and the dog owners it has to do with Wally the emotional support alligator and I don't know who this guy's owner is I don't know the guy I know he had the, the alligator down at the Phillies during the playoffs, and the Phillies didn't let him in. But this is how sore the Flyers are for fans and people in the building right right now. They let Wally in last week. I think it was the night we recorded last week, last Monday night. And it's a disgrace um, for somebody to say that an alligator is their emotional support animal because I saw a picture. Of course, everybody's so excited, and Gritty got a picture with Wally, and the in-host arena was sitting with Wally. But I saw a picture of this guy carrying this fucking alligator around the concourse like it was his child. And there's just, like, people stopping and staring and looking, like, terrified that this guy's walking around Wells Fargo Center with an alligator. So how does that work for emotional support? So the alligator supports one person's emotions, but the other 10 or 12,000 people in the building are probably terrified when the guy walks by. So how's that work for emotional support? Uh, so, you know, I'm a flyer's honk. 
I watch when I'm available now, even though they stink. I want to see them do well. Uh, but I, I think this is the first bad move of, of the Jonesy and Danny Briere new era of Orange. To let that in the building is a disgrace. And again, I, I don't understand. It, it, it's a cry for attention. Oh, look at me. I got my alligator into the fucking Wells Fargo Center. When the the real emotional problem is the toll that it took on the people that actually maybe took a young kid down to, oh, this is Johnny's first hockey game. The Flyers stink. The tickets are cheap. We're going to go have a nice night out. And you got to walk in and see a guy carrying around a, a fucking alligator. I mean, if, if you wanted to go to the zoo, it's at like 30th and Girard. Not not on South Broad Street. So take your alligator up to the zoo, and everybody can look at it there. But stay the hell out of the sports complexes, the sports buildings. It's a t- it's a total joke, cry for attention, and and I, it's another thing I hate about the day and a- day and age that we live in, and the people that perpetuate this nonsense. It's horrible. We spent two years as a nation talking about a virus that allegedly came from some sort of pangolin over in China, right? I was at an event not long ago, maybe a year ago, watching people armadillo racing at a restaurant, literally armadillo racing. Granted, this was in Texas, but I I always thought armadillos carry leprosy and it comes out later, a year later, that all of a sudden now there's leprosy spreading in fucking Florida and they think it might be due to armadillos. How is it that we spent two years talking about these damn bats and pangolins but yet we're bringing alligators to a game. We were, we couldn't even go into a game without a fucking mask on last year, the year before. But Wally the alligator can come right in, buddy. Show us your chops. It ain't right, G. Dude, I I was taken aback. Like the tomfoolery you see in the parking lot is one thing, but but to let that shit go on in the building is. I mean, I know I keep using the words disgusting, disgrace, unfathomable. No, it is. I don't, I don't know what I don't know what you want me to say. I don't mean to be redundant, but it's it's awful. Uh, how is that allowed? It, it really, you're, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's just <sighs> emotional support. The owner needs emotional support to carry around a fucking fully sized alligator around like it's his child. He needs more than emotional support. He needs to be checked in like a psychiatric unit. Seriously. So that's my bone to pick of the week. Um, We got college left. We'll welcome Ty Hildebrand on to talk Penn State, Michigan, college football. Uh, Week 10 is in the books. Saw a few big games this weekend between Alabama and LSU. Uh, The tide continues to roll after taking the early lump to Texas. Uh, Washington survived at the Coliseum against Caleb Williams and the USC Trojans. And we saw Clemson storm the field and Dabo giving out financial advice. Buy all the Clemson stock, baby. It ain't getting any lower. Uh, And Clemson storms the field after they beat Notre Dame. I mean, any takeaways, Bob? I mean, I had people texting me like, yo, you got to get on bomb. Like, what happened to his Irish? What do you mean you got to get on bomb? I had them dead and buried weeks ago. I told you after that loss, I said, I've seen all I need to see. Paint, touchdown, Jesus Black, let's go get prime. I, Marcus Freeman is dead. He's dead to me. He's a moron. He can't coach. He stinks. That program stinks. They're never going to win anything. I don't know how you're going to get a quarterback. So we're just going to have Sam Hartman. This is going to be Sean Clifford 2.0. Let's send Sam out on a high note. For what? 
For what? Get get anybody else a rep. So so the Hartman Heisman tickets are are burned. Burn them up. Chop them up. <laughs> they're they're dusted. I I wish I would have known. He was zero and six against Clemson in his career. I think before how about before that? Saturday. How about that? Uh, but but pretty tough. But I was impressed. I guess with Washington, um, you know their offense is is pretty unreal, and USC is is pretty optional on the defense. That was an entertaining game. Uh, they'll play Utah this weekend, I believe, at home. So it'll be interesting to see them play a team that actually can play some defense. Um, and we saw the ties take down LSU and dismantle BK and Jalen Milrow is coming into his own. So I think Alabama is, is a dangerous team as ever. I know we might have wrote them. I won't say we. I might have wrote them off earlier in the year. Um, but again, I talked about Hurts and, and Mahomes, and now you see a guy like Jalen Milrow. Like, I thought about this this weekend, Bob. Like, long story short, and, and maybe it's Captain Obvious, but I feel like it gets forgotten. Like, your football team is only as good as your quarterback yep. because, like, teams just – build or don't build so much off of the swagger or the lack thereof from the quarterback. Um, so you see a guy in Milrow, start, he's starting to figure it out. He hits the shots. He he carries the ball. He's a good runner, uh, and he's playing with confidence, and that's how Alabama's playing right now. So if I was Georgia, I know, I know they got another tough game this weekend with Ole Miss coming to town, uh, but if I was Georgia and looking ahead to that SEC championship game, uh, I would not be too thrilled with having to play an Alabama team that's already lost a game and is coming into form. Well, you mentioned Ole Miss coming to town. I'm not sure who who George, you know who Georgia's looking at the rest of the way, but if I'm Georgia, I'm thinking to myself, we better get to Atlanta undefeated, okay? Because if that SEC championship game becomes a de facto elimination game, <laughs> hold on to your seats, folks. What I saw Saturday out of Georgia. I saw a team that frankly did not play like the number one country in the uh, number one team in the country. I saw Missouri come in there with little Eli Drinkwitz. Who's little Eli Drinkwitz? I mean, this guy's like a like a pro cheerleader on the sideline. They wanted him fired at the beginning of the year. They and they come in and almost do a job if not for a quarterback gift wrapping uh, a near pick six to a big guy on a screenplay. I mean, Missouri had them on the freaking ropes, dude. They did. They did. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's like like I said last week. Like it feels wide open, but each week it gets narrower and narrower and narrow narrower. Try to say that three times fast. So uh, another good weekend. A game's coming up, and you could say, and I'll say, it's headlined by the game in Happy Valley, Penn State. Host Michigan, big noon kickoff, Clat, Gus Johnson, and the All-American girl Jenny Taft will be in State College to call the game against the Wolverines. And it'll be the Wolverines' first real test of the year, or at least pregame we'll call it. It looks like it might be a test because you never you never know which Nittany Lions team will show up. Um, but, I mean, Preseason, I, I did my schedule right, and uh, I had I had Penn State at eleven and one. I called the loss in Columbus. Uh, I took the points there. I did not go outright. Um, we'll have to see where I go with with our pick segment later in the show. 
Um, but before we get to Ty Bomb, uh, any thoughts on on this game that you'd like to share? Uh, Penn State, Michigan, Saturday, twelve o'clock. Well, I know we have to give our picks. Um, I'll give most of my thoughts. Uh, what I'll say is this, G. That's the game I'm looking at. Okay, that's the game wow. I'm looking at. So, um, we'll just reserve. We'll just reserve the commentary, the, the brief, a, a few brief comments for that particular segment. But I think all eyes turn to Happy Valley, man. This is a big game. It's a big game, brother. It is a big game. I'm excited. I bet all of our listeners are excited. Are excited, and uh, that's why we had to get Ty Hildebrand of the Solid Verbal, America's College Football Podcast, uh, to join the show, help us get ready uh, and evaluate the shaping college football playoff picture. So let's turn it over to our discussion with Ty. All right, we're very happy to welcome our next guest to Thoughts from the Shade. He is a fellow Penn State alumni and a college football connoisseur with his work on the Solid Verbal podcast. His name is Ty Hildebrand. Ty, first off, thank you so much for joining the show ahead of Penn State, Michigan this weekend. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank, I appreciate the invite on. It's a big week, a big big game this week. You're not kidding. Uh, I mean, so when whenever we get to these big games, right, I, I feel like the best place to start is the head coach and, you know, obviously your expertise, your, your line of work with the solid verbal, you have to remain objective, but you are a Penn State alumni. So I just have to ask, like, where do you stand on this guy? How do you evaluate this guy? Uh, because to me, you, you look at the record against the top 10, you look at the record against the big dogs. And to me, it feels like rooting for this guy each year in these spots is like the definition of insanity. So just curious to get your view of, of James Franklin. Yeah, I th- I think my view is your view. To be honest with you, I think um, it is frustrating. It is frustrating to feel like Penn State is in position to get a win from a talent standpoint. From a, um, I think just general college football standpoint this year, you know, like Ohio State probably is not as good as we've seen Ohio State be over the last decade or so. It's a team sort of in transition with, you know, a quarterback at least that's, um, you know, relatively unproven. And they they had a shot in that game. It felt like they could have won and they they kind of spun out. Um, And, you know, I feel like we've seen this time and again with with Penn State where um, we build ourselves up in the preseason, get all excited about the year in front, get to the big games. Really, it's a two-game slate every year. Maybe that'll change next year when more teams come into the conference and the schedules are different, but it's been a two-game slate, basically Ohio State and Michigan, and um, them consistently falling short is just really maddening. Yeah, it is It is the definition of insanity. So um, I I was in on Penn State in that Ohio State game. And after that, I think I kind of swore them off because it's just like, how many times am I going to do this myself that they can thinking that they can win a game like this and then ultimately falling short. So I'm, I'm as frustrated as you are. I, I, I do the same thing every year, every big game, I guess I, I'd follow up with like, where do you think he, these Franklin teams fall short? Um, and like, I think one of the things that sticks out to me is like, 
the offensive struggles in these big games uh, because I feel like we always know what we're going to get with the defense. It's usually pretty sound, whether it was under Brent Pry or under Manny Diaz now, it might be even a little bit better. But across, what, five, six coordinators? Like, the offense kind of hits the same wall uh, when, when it steps up in class and competition. So, like, what do you think is kind of holding back the program under Franklin? Yeah, I mean, they, they gave up 20 points to Ohio State on the road. You give up 20 points on the road to what is clearly a top four team in the college football playoff rankings. I mean, they were number one in the first batch. Where, wherever you stand in Ohio State, they're one of the better teams in the country. To give up only 20 points and still feel like you were mostly out of that game, that's an offensive problem. That's an offensive problem. The defense, as you said, is usually pretty rock solid, but um, they have had an issue, as you know, watching Penn State as much as I'm sure you have They've had issues with their offensive line, right? A lot of it starts up front. So they haven't had the blocking up front. Well, that sort of started to change a little bit last year, right? We saw more of a running game. There were high expectations coming into this year that the running game would get better. It hasn't, to be honest. It really hasn't. Um, But I think line has definitely factored in. I think for a while it was easy to blame the quarterback position. We can look at Sean Clifford from last season as as an example. Backup NFL quarterback now. Sean Clifford, um, and we felt like we were limited with what he brought to bear. Um, And so that was an easy excuse to point to. They've generally had pretty good wide receivers. They don't have that this year. It doesn't seem like guys can get open. So it just, it feels to me like it has been a rotating set of excuses, whether it's line, whether it's whether it's quarterback, whether it's this year wide receivers, like it doesn't feel like they can all get on the same page at the same time in the same season. And so, you know, we could have a discussion about schemes and who's calling the plays and game management and all that. But I just think from a talent standpoint, they consistently recruit at a really high level. It just is never, it never feels like they're all in sync. And that to me is the most frustrating part. Super frustrating and and, and probably a challenge for, for Franklin and the staff. Right. But you talked about Sean Clifford. We transitioned to the highly touted Drew Aller this year. Uh, we saw him protect the football pretty well. Uh, record-setting uh, pass attempts, I want to say, uh, for not having an, uh, an interception to, to start a season or maybe a career. Yep. Uh, he throws the first pick at the end of that hideous Indiana game, and he kind of looked like a new guy last week against Maryland. I mean, how do you evaluate the play of the quarterback and can he carry over kind of that, that looseness from the Maryland game into the Michigan game this weekend? Yeah. I mean, this is where, this is where I have to like, I have to remember that I am somewhat biased towards Penn state because Drew Auer looked good. He looked good last week. He did the offense as a whole look good. It seemed like the pass, the passing offense was a lot more downfield than we've seen pretty much throughout the course of the year, right? I mean, that was a noted change. Um, Where I need to hit the brakes a little bit is it was Maryland. It was Maryland. Maryland is outmatched on both sides, uh, both offense and defense in the trenches. Um, We have a joke on our show about September Maryland. Maryland goes like four or five and oh every September and then falls apart. That's just sort of who they are. And it seems like year in and year out, Penn State just drills Maryland. There have been a handful of occasions over the last 15 years where that's not been the case, but by and large, Penn State owns Maryland. So 
I'm trying not to get too excited about what I saw last week. I expected that they would win that game handily. They did win the game handily. They put up 50 points on them. But I think going from Maryland to a team like Michigan is a pretty big jump. It's a pretty big jump. And I am definitely a bit skeptical that suddenly after basically nine and a half weeks of not having a downfield passing game, of not having any explosion in the offense, suddenly they're going to turn that on against maybe the best team in the country. So I'm, I'll believe it when I see it. I'd have to, I'd have to agree. And hopefully, hopefully we will see it, but uh, hopefully, yeah, it's, it, it might be a long shot. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was the run game. And one of our, our listeners had asked about Nick Singleton, uh, another highly touted guy uh, who seems to have regressed maybe in the run game. I don't know if you attribute that to the O-line. Uh, I know Katron, he hasn't looked as great either, and it's it's been an odd timeshare. It doesn't feel like there's as much flow with that rotation. Um, can you just talk about like that a little bit? Because Singleton, I mean, I feel like, and, and this is this is maybe a reach, but the way he performed last year, like you kind of felt like you had almost another Barkley on your hands. Yeah. No, I, I mean, totally. And he came to Penn State with so much fanfare out of Reading. Um, it was like, th- this kid's going to be the real deal. We obviously saw flashes last year, and there was a lot to be excited about there. But um, Nick Singleton, despite the fact that he came to Penn State as a home run threat, he showed it last year as a big-time home run threat. He's got one run over 20 yards this year. We're 10 weeks into the season. One run over 20 yards. Not what we expected. Uh, I agree with you. The flow of the running back tandem does not feel like it is It is quite the same. It's just like every other drive, and sometimes they skip a drive. It, it seems to be almost without rhyme or reason. Um, the, the big thing that I would point to on the running side of things is – this is an offensive line that I think was touted coming into the season. And and you know this. I mean, Penn State's offensive line for the better part of the last decade has been the thing that you point to on this offense and say they need to get better there. They really need to get better there. And this season, coming into this season anyway, after what we saw a year ago, it seemed like they were primed to take a big step forward. Olu Fashano came back. He was potentially a first-round pick last year. He decides he's going to come back and kind of anchor this line. And I was just looking at the numbers earlier today. The the line stats for Penn State are not better than they were a year ago. They're not. They're just not as good as they were a year ago. And so I think on some level that's definitely got a lot to do with it. Um, you, you know, the the big theme, I think, for Penn State's offense as a whole, whether in the running game or the passing game, is they have no explosion whatsoever. Nothing is down the field. They don't get those long running or passing plays at all. And so it there, there's probably a bit of scheme that um, needs to be amended. There's probably um, a lot of blame that needs to be shared among guys along the offensive line. And, um, you know, maybe having a new quarterback that you can't, that you don't rely on as much when the scheme has something to do with how you call the runs. I'm, I'm not really sure to be honest with you. All I know is I see the stats and the stats are like night and day as compared to last year. And it seems to your point, like they've regressed, which is really frustrating. Yeah, indeed, and and you you think about the line and the trenches, and if there was ever a game you you needed to be sturdy up front, it would be this Saturday against uh, the Michigan Wolverines. And I, I want to talk about the team and their season a little bit, uh, but obviously uh, some extracurriculars uh, for, for, for for Jim Harbaugh and and the yeah. Wolverines this season uh, with the sign stealing, 
uh, investigation that I believe is going on. I mean, what are your thoughts kind of on that? And how do you see it impacting maybe the Big Ten race uh, and and potentially the college football playoff race? It's going to get weird, man. It's going to this is going to get really weird. Um, So, I mean, I, I have many thoughts on this. Sign stealing is pervasive throughout football. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Everybody tries to steal signs. The difference with the Michigan case is that they had this dude who, to the best of our knowledge, maybe acting on his own accord without knowledge of the coaching staff, which I find hard to believe, but they have not linked it directly back to Harbaugh or anybody on the staff as of now. Um, There was this guy who took it upon himself to basically set up an in-person scouting web. He would pay people to go to games to take video of opposing sidelines, send them back to him so he could decode the signals and have them going into a game. Now, you would say that seems like something a lot of teams would be interested in doing. It doesn't seem like it'd be that hard of a rule to get around. And I would agree because it seems like the rule is basically unenforceable. The problem here is that the guy was careless. The guy left a paper trail and it was pretty pretty well known throughout the big 10 and really college football as a whole that this was going on. So however, the beans were spilled to the NCAA, um, we find ourselves now in a very, very odd situation of the guy who stole the signs has resigned. The big 10 is all up in arms because all of the coaches, all of the other member institutions are fired up. So it puts the new commissioner of the big 10 in a really, really weird spot. Just today, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, they have now officially sent notice to Michigan. Uh, the Big Ten sent notice to Michigan that they're seeking perhaps some punitive action to, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess punish them for whatever details they've been able to uncover through the NCAA. And we're sort of in this holding pattern now to figure out what, if anything, the the Big Ten's going to do. We could very easily find ourselves in a situation where. The Big Ten says, we're going to suspend Jim Harbaugh for the rest of the season. Michigan says, basically, F you, we're going to fight it. And they take it to court. Basically, it gets appealed, and everything is put on hold until after the season. And Jim Harbaugh coaches throughout the rest of the season. So there's just a lot of unprecedented stuff going on. I'm not too worked up over the fact that Michigan was stealing signs. Um, I just feel like that goes on all the time. Um, But I do think it's a competitive balance or it, it alters the competitive balance. If you know a team's going to run versus a team's going to throw it, that's important information, right? You, you can you can stand to gain a lot from information like they still have to stop it. But if you know just that on that binary level, it's either a run or a pass, it's helpful. And so um, the extent to which they were going to games and figuring this stuff out uh, in advance, um, it, it just seems like that is a step beyond what, what we would referred to as like the garden variety of sign stealing. So um, eventually they're going to get punished for it, you know, whether it's during the season or, or after the season, I, I think the hammer is going to come down on Michigan. Um, I, I don't know what that fully means, but something's going to happen. It really is just a question to me of whether or not it's going to happen before the season and it's going to stick or before the end of the season. And if it's something that's going to stick or if it's going to be something that occurs after the fact. So create in many ways, like the perfect college football story, because everybody has something to argue about. That is what college football is in like its purest sense. Um, But a lot, a lot of new ground here that um, frankly, I have no idea what to expect. 
It's really crazy. And, and I think, you know, with, with the potential of the, the punitive action being delayed till after the season, like the unfortunate part about that is we're going to have an entire Big Ten conference and an entire nation on Saturday at 12 o'clock uh, che- learning how it is to cheer on James Franklin in a top 10 matchup. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's uh let, let's oh, not man. let's not belabor the the off the field stuff uh just wanted to get your thoughts on this michigan team uh obviously back-to-back college football playoff appearances uh they've cruised through a, a pretty light schedule so far this year so i guess what, what do you make of this team compared to years past and uh i don't know like what what can penn state do on saturday to, to hang in this game and have a chance come the fourth quarter yeah, I'm I'm still laughing at big game James Franklin. <laughs> You're so right about that. I mean, people are going to rip their hair out watching this game. Um, what do I think of Michigan? <laughs> I picked Michigan to win the national championship at the start of the year. And I know they have not played the toughest slate of games, something like 111th strength of schedule. But um, I think they're legit. I, I don't think the schedule necessarily dictates how good the team is. The team has taken care of business. The team has blown everybody out that the schedule has put in front of them. So I tend to look at the schedule a lot less than I know um, some of the under some of the other pundits out there have. I just think Michigan's really good. I think they're solid where it counts up front. It has been a rebuild of sorts for Jim Harbaugh over the last couple of seasons where he basically doubles down on what he's good at, which is physical, bruising North and South football. And when they went to J.J. McCarthy from Cade McNamara, he gave them the extra dynamic of being able to run, um, being able to mix in some zone read stuff, some RPO stuff. It just makes it so much harder to defend when you've got a beast of an offensive line, a couple running backs who can run for days, and then a quarterback who is a really good thrower and is probably going to be a first-round pick who who also can run like the wind. So it's like... Penn State's defense is going to have its work cut out for them. Um, my sense coming into this game is, and it is kind of counterintuitive because we know Michigan likes to run it, but I just feel like Michigan against a good team is really dangerous because of J.J. McCarthy being able to either run it or throw it. He's he's really a good passer. He's come a long way in you know his short time in Ann Arbor now. And so... I think if I am game planning, I want to take away the pass as best I can and force Michigan to run. Even though that's what they're good at, I would much rather make it a slop fest, hold them to four yards of carry, slow down the game, take the air out of the ball, and hope you don't make a big mistake. Maybe you can force a turnover at some point. I I think essentially keep it close. I don't want to get into a track beat with Michigan because um, I don't think Penn State can score. 35 points against Michigan if it should come to that. So I I think they need to try and slow it down and keep it ugly. If they're going to win this thing at all, if they're going to have any shot, Um, you know, the defense generally holds serve. It's just a function of what are they going to get out of the offense against um, a a really good defense by some measures, the best defense in the country. Yeah, it'll it'll certainly be a challenge. I mean, we've seen in, in the recent losses, right for Michigan against Georgia, they're, Matched in talent, they're matched in the trenches, and then against TCU, it, it is a track meet, but Penn State is certainly not suited to play that type of game, but they are suited to play an ugly game. I just don't know if it's if it's the right ugly uh, for the Wolverines. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the name of the game. You know, I think 
I think they tried to do that, to be honest with you, against Ohio State on the road. That that was an ugly game. It really was. And um, if they had gotten a little bit more pop on offense, maybe this is a far different conversation. The, the irony of this whole thing is, I mean, we're talking here about how frustrated we are about Penn State and how good Michigan is and how Ohio State might be the best team in the country, or at least the playoff committee thought they were. Penn State's still very much in this thing, okay? Penn State lost, but it was a close loss on the road. That's not considered a bad loss in the eyes of the playoff committee. If they beat Michigan and Michigan beats Ohio State, Penn State has a pretty good shot of winning that tiebreaker in the Big Ten East, going to the Big Ten title game, playing probably Iowa again in a rematch, a game that they beat them 31-0 the first time around. I think we'd feel good about it. If all of those things happen, which is not far-fetched, they could be in the playoff. I'm not counting on that. I'm I'm certainly not thinking that they're going to be Michigan, but I'm just saying, you know, despite some of our obvious frustration here, they're still very much in this thing. The one thing uh, me and, and my co-hosts like to joke about, and even some of my friends who are fellow alumni and fans, like the situation you li- you just you just lined up, like it's all in front of us. It's all still in front of us. Like, but it is. But we say it every year. We know how it ends. It's like banging your head. Um, against the wall. So I guess you outlined, you know, kind of what the formula might need to be, but I don't know if you want to give a prediction or a pick or what you expect to actually see on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said at the top, like I'm, I'm of the mind that Penn state's offense isn't suddenly going to get better against maybe the best team on their schedule. I just, I, that to me seems very, very far fetched. Um, I, believe the defense will hold serve, but I also believe that Michigan's going to get theirs. So I think the line's four and a half, five and a half, which seems far too low, frankly. Um, I was thinking something like 31-20, Michigan wins. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But it's, it's, it, 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 is, it is the reality uh, of the situation, but we'll hope, we'll hope for something different. Uh, yeah. For once, I do want to ask you, um, just going back to like Franklin and, you know, he's won a Big Ten championship. He's appeared and, and won some New Year's six games, hasn't gotten over the hump in this four team playoff. Uh, we moved to the 12 team playoff next year. We have conference realignment. We saw the schedule come out for Penn State next year uh, with some more marquee games. Do you think like with realignment and the 12 team playoff, like does this benefit Penn state? Does it give them a better chance to get in the mix? Or do you think the regular season gets more challenging and they just kind of stoop down a little bit? I I think the answer is, is yes, yes. And maybe, um, I I think everybody's going to be in a situation where the regular season gets harder. That's just where we're at with conference realignment. I mean, Penn state next year has got, USC and UCLA, they've also got Ohio State and Washington and like it, it Wisconsin on the road. Like it's it is a tough schedule and they're not going to be alone. Imagine being a team like Iowa that has gotten through playing a Big Ten West schedule, gone repeatedly to the Big Ten championship game, basically by playing nobody every year, being able to win with that defense. It's going to get real in a hurry when they have to start playing some real teams. Then it's not a divisional type thing in the Big Ten. So I. I just think across the board, whether you're talking about the Big Ten, whether you're talking about the Big 12, whether you're talking about the SEC, all of these schedules are going to get harder. And I think that's okay. I mean, I, I am 
not necessarily the biggest proponent of conference realignment. I think it ruins rivalries. I think it loses a lot of the charm that we've come to love about college football. But at the same time, the TV product should be better during the season. You should have better, higher quality games more often throughout the course of the year. And so that obviously makes it harder. However, because they expanded to 12, I do think that also benefits a team like Penn State. You know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily benefit a team like a Georgia or an Alabama any more than usual. An Ohio State, we could say any more than usual. But the teams that are constantly on the cusp, like the Penn States, like the Notre Dames, um, Oklahoma, maybe another good example. Texas this year, maybe an example as well. Oregon, I can name a thousand teams that I, I think stand to benefit from this playoff system expanding. So it's going to get easier to get into the playoff. Um, it You can get into the playoff with two losses, in some cases, maybe three. So there's going to be a lot more wiggle room during the regular season. Everyone's going to play harder games. The field will be expanded. So it'll be a little bit easier, I think, to get into the playoff. Um, I, I don't know if that necessarily makes Penn State uh, better than they've been. It, it could just be like an optical illusion to get them in the playoffs because of the new system, not because the team or the structure behind the team is getting better or the coaching is getting better. But um, I, I think if you're a Penn State fan, like there is a lot to be excited about starting next season because of the new the new setup and because of the new conference. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the schedule now. There, there, there are some baller games on this schedule that I'm super excited to see happen. Yeah, it should, it should definitely be exciting. The TV products for sure. A lot, lot more bigger games and, and West Coast teams for Penn State. It'll give us plenty plenty to talk about and argue about uh, w- oh, yeah. with the realignment and the new schedules. Uh, but we are recording here ahead of the second rendition of this year's college football playoff rankings. I would expect the top seven, eight teams tonight to probably remain unchanged. But I'd, I'd just like to close with, like, how do you see this all playing out? Do you have a, a dark, dark horse team or, or two that's on the outside looking in right now that might be in a Penn State situation where it's all in front of them if they can take care of business? I mean, how do you see this shaking out when we get down to four teams in a few weeks here? Yeah, well, right now, so if you, like you said, they're going to be releasing a new batch of rankings. I don't know if Penn State's going to move a whole lot. Um, But, you know, Penn, Penn State is in a unique position where they've got a lot in front of them. And even though the loss to Ohio State was very, very frustrating, you beat Michigan, Michigan beats Ohio State, you're suddenly right back in this thing, which is crazy to think, but it's it's very much true. Um, Penn State's got a lot to play for still. Um, I am buying Alabama stock. This is not new. <laughs> Alabama's always in this conversation, but Alabama seems like it's getting better, especially on offense. Um, I think they've got a lot to play for. I, I'm infinitely curious to see what happens if they play Georgia in the SEC title game. So I, I think they're in a really good spot because they seem to be peaking at the right time. Um, I am very, very curious to see what happens if we get an Oregon-Washington rematch. That game took place a couple weeks ago. Oregon maybe made a bonehead decision at the end of the game that gave Washington the ball and a chance to score and win, and they ultimately did, 36-33. Uh, I think Oregon's a better team. Even though they lost, I think they play again, Oregon wins. And the Pac-12 this season has been very much in the limelight. I 
I would be surprised if the Pac-12 team got let out of the playoff unless, you know, they all cannibalize each other and everybody's got two losses or something crazy. So I, I would buy Oregon stock at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, Florida State doesn't really play anybody the rest of the way. They've got a game against Miami this weekend. They, Miami's a mess. And it, it seems to me like it's all there in front of Florida State. They, they've probably got the best shot of anybody to, to remain undefeated with what they've got left on the schedule. So right now, if I'm, if I'm just sort of like stacking my chips behind the teams that I think have the best shot of getting in, Florida State's where I'm putting most of my, most of my chips. I, I just don't see them losing the rest of the way. If they went out, they're going to get in. So um, be, beyond those three teams, um, you know, just a lot of curiosity to see how the committee grades out a team like Ohio State from week to week, what what they do with um, what they do with Michigan, um, it, 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 with all of these sort of swirling allegations. Um, you know that that's kind of the X factor here. If the Big Ten decides it wants to suspend Michigan or impose some sort of postseason ban, does the playoff follow suit and kick them out of the running? Like they're there's that whole other dynamic that's unprecedented that we we probably can't speak much to. But um, just to, to get back to your original question, I, I think the team that I would put most of my chips behind would be Florida State. The two teams that I'm most interested in the rest of the way, outside of the obvious ones, are probably Oregon and Penn State. You mentioned a, a potential Georgia-Alabama SEC championship game. I think that would probably be the game of the year. Um aside from maybe a Washington-Oregon rematch, because I think that was the game of the year thus far in college football. Um, take a second. First of all, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, you, you do great work with the Solid Verbal. Tell our audience a little bit about the Solid Verbal and, and where they can find you guys. Yeah, well, I look, I appreciate the invite. Um, it's, always, it's always good to come on and talk football with another Penn Stater. So, um, and, and you do good work here, and I'm, I'm – I'm pleased to get the invite. So thank you. Thank you for the, uh, for the chance to come on. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the solid verbal is, is the name of my show. It's a college football podcast. We've been around since 2008. We've worked with everyone from ESPN to Sirius XM to Spotify. Um, we've, we've, you know, been at this for a good long time. We do three episodes a week. You can find it out on our website, solidverbal.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can hear a recap show every Sunday morning. You can hear sort of a midweek Tuesday show that we call the Twos Cruise. It's weird. It's nautically themed. Don't ask. It's a long story. But that's our moment to sort of take a step back and look at the bigger picture stuff going on around the sport. And then every Wednesday, we we put together our picks. My picks have been awful <laughs> this season. So maybe that means something for Penn State with uh, with this big game in, in week 11 ahead of them against Michigan that uh, that I feel so good about, about Michigan. Um, but yeah, three episodes a week. Again, the website's solidverbal.com. And, um, yeah, if you're a college football fan, give it a, give it a try. Awesome. Well, can't say thanks enough. Uh, appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck, uh, in the rest of this college football season. Hopefully we'll see some chaos. Hopefully we'll see some sort of resolution to Michigan. And I, I really hope that, that Penn state resolves the situation, on yeah. on Saturday, Ty Hildebrand, ladies and gentlemen from the Solid Verbal. Thanks so much, Ty. Thank you so much. And we'll say thanks again to Ty Hildebrand of the Solid Verbal for joining the show. Uh, continue to to check him out and support his content. They do a great job uh, with the Solid Verbal 
podcast. Uh, big things out of those guys. Um, but I think that that'll do it for the previews, Bomb. And it's it's time to for the rubber to hit the road, man. Uh, you've been killing it in the picks. Um, fourteen and five on the year for the bomb. A two and zero week last week. Seven and three college football. Seven and two NFL. Uh, I go one and one again. Totally, totally fooled by the line with Notre Dame and Clemson. Brings me to six and four in college. Six and three in NFL for a twelve and seven record on the season combined. Bomb. We're looking at twenty six and twelve. Fade the shade at your own risk, folks. Fade the shade no more. We finally did away with the segment title, and I I I think it did us did us some good uh, with our luck so far this season. And don't forget, uh, our pick segment is brought to you by the Sharps app. It is a free, transparent sports betting community. Link your sports book and share your verified bets and stats with the world. Download the iOS app today uh, using our link it's in the episode description uh, it is on the instagram at tfts pod and use referral code tfts977 so we've talked plenty about this game bomb you said before our guest this was the game you're looking at i you know i, I looked at the board before the podcast and i I said, you know what? I can't. I can't pick this game. Let's stick with my preseason schedule. We'll see what happens. But you're looking at this game, and I'm glad because I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Well, a lot of controversy as um, as our f- fine and esteemed guest mentioned. Right, Michigan coming in, and a lot, a lot of talk with the, the the signs and the cheating. And gee, you know, you know my thoughts on JF. You know my thoughts on James Franklin. I'm not even sure the guy has changed up the hand signals. Like, I would not be surprised if this guy's still using the same hand signals. I look at the line. It's a ton of points. They're begging you to take Penn State. Four and a half points at home. The only thing you have in your head is the Mo Bamba. That'll be bumping all week. Mo Bamba, timeout Michigan. First player of the game. Like, Like, that's literally what's going through everybody's mind. They're going to say, oh, my God, four and a half points. But this isn't an 8 p.m. game, G. Okay, this isn't... They didn't give everybody time in the lots to get all liquored up and walk in and do the Mobamba and get, and get the delay a game. This is a noon kickoff. I think Michigan comes out and punches them right in the mouth. Takes the crowd out of it. I'm taking Michigan. Laying the four and a half on the road as much as it hurts, as much as it pains me to say... I think Harbaugh and team go into Happy Valley and get the statement win they're looking for in the midst of controversy. You're you're feeling a sleepy valley on Saturday. That's exactly James, what I was feeling. James Franklin said in his weekly presser Monday that he knows the fans will show up for 12 o'clock because of all the coffee and Dunkin' Donuts that'll be consumed in the parking lots before the games. Yep, and I think there's going to be a lot of betters that are going to sleepwalk into that Penn State ticket after watching them hang 50 on Baby Tua. I mean, that's what James Franklin does. He hangs 50 on on Maryland, you know, because he wants to go in there and recruit all the guys from the DMV, so he's got to put up the points. But that's it. That's all he's got. I, I don't think Penn State gets it done. I think they lose big double digits. Well, it's it's funny you talk about hanging 50 on Maryland and then what, what they do in these big spots. Obviously, they scored – 
12 points against Ohio State, but I put a poll up Saturday evening on the Instagram at TFTS pod 50 burger, bring on Michigan with a picture of, of the 51 points in the scoreboard. And then I wrote over or under 11 and a half Penn state points next week. <laughs> 58% of our audience said over, 42% said under. So we we have a, a little bit of a split here. I mean, I know 11.5 is low. Maybe a more realistic one is like 16.5 or 17.5. Um, nothing would surprise me other than Penn State like lighting the world on fire. Uh, but but I, I will say, after, after throwing that first pick against Indiana, Aller looked a little bit looser. I know it's Maryland. But maybe that's 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 a monkey off the back, and, and he's playing free. He, he talked about it after the Maryland game. We'll have to see. Uh, again, I talked about looking at this board. I always look for things that stick out to me, um, and I was between two games, but I, I, I'll probably bet both. But the one I'm going to give on the podcast this week for college football takes place at 2 o'clock on Saturday in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Give me the James Madison Dukes sitting at 9-0. They are hosting the 1-8 Yukon Huskies, who are quarterbacked by none other than Taquan Roberson. If you remember back a few years, Sean Clifford gets knocked out of the game at Kinnick Stadium against Iowa. And Taquan Roberson came in and looked clueless as ever. I'm sure his play has improved a little bit since then. Uh, but this UConn team is horrible. And James Madison is sitting in the top 25 undefeated. Could they have a chance to slip into that group of five New Year's six spot? I don't know. Uh, but to play for an undefeated season at least and have a team like UConn coming into the building Give me James Madison minus 25 and a half uh, against UConn on Saturday afternoon. I like it. They stink. Oh, they're horrible. They're horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I talked about looking at the board, seeing a couple things. You got to pick one for the podcast because we got to keep that record going. But if you want to see everything we're betting, follow me on the Sharps app, TFTS Pod G. And if you want to see everything that Bomb's betting, certified Sharp Bomb. Follow TFTS pod. Bomb, let's turn the page to Sunday, Bomb. The NFL, where are you headed? Uh, off the bye. You, this is that time of year where you look at teams, you look at coaches, you look at quarterbacks that can do a job off a bye. Uh, we're going to Jacksonville. Let's take the Jags. How is it the Jacksonville's getting two and a half with Shanahan coming to town? Come be a fucking break. Jags, they win the game. Take the two and a half. I like it. That should that should be a good game. I'm curious to see uh, see what what the brilliant Shanahan has out of the bye. I think the Jags were on bye last week too. So two teams out of the bye, uh, two, two contenders in their respective conferences should be should be a good game. I'll definitely be pulling for the Jags and our boy Doug Peterson. Uh, I. I looked at two games again. I know I keep saying it, uh, but you know I love my spots, right? I love teams that come off getting blown out, and I love fading teams that just blew somebody out. And the talk of the NFL right now is Lamar Jackson 
and the Baltimore Ravens. They blew out Detroit. They just blew out Seattle this past weekend. Uh, they're 7-2. and two. They look great. The offense, new coordinator this year, they're chucking it around the yard. They got different running backs stepping up every week. In come the Cleveland Browns, who basically played a scrimmage this weekend against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and Deshaun Watson is back. I don't think he's a game breaker. I don't think he's a 250 or $300 million quarterback, whatever he got. Uh, but he is the starting quarterback, and he's back, and I love the Browns' defense. Uh, the The total on this game is sitting at 38 or 38 and a half, and the Browns are getting six points at M&T Bank Stadium in, in Baltimore. Game. Exactly my thoughts. Give me the Cleveland Browns to come into Baltimore on Sunday and muck it up. I'm not going to go outright, but give me the six points with Cleveland uh, against the Ravens in a gritty AFC North battle uh, on Sunday at 1 o'clock. I'll take the Browns plus six. So you're looking for a muck game? I mean, it's got to be a muck game. These Those AFC North games, those divisional games, they're they're always muck. I mean, the, the total is 38 and a half. I'd be shocked if, if it hit 30. I, I just ask because <clears throat> this podcast is 1-0 on muck games. You might recall last week your boy Bomb gave everybody – the Pittsburgh Panthers to cover against undefeated Florida State in a muck game. It was a muck game. I like it, G. This is a muck game. I think we could go two and zero in muck games. You got to find them. You got to spot them. You got to find them, and you got to take the points in the muck games. Um, so I think that'll do it. We'll say thanks again to Ty Hildebrand of the Solid Verbal. We'll say thank you to our sponsors, Sharps. And failed to mention Menard Premium Detailing, the number one auto detail business service in Bucks County. Check them out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. Enjoy the bye week. Go state, but don't hold your breath. We know how these things typically go. Have a great week, everybody. 